But y'all know what we're here for, the Combat Jack Show, A3C, 10th anniversary. And we're going to get right into proceedings. I want to introduce the blackest Italian that I know, a.k.a. sneaker aficionado, a.k.a. co-founder and curator of YouGottaEatThis.com with Bun B and a whole bunch of other shit. Ladies and gentlemen, Premium Pete. Pete, Pete. And next up, you know, I mean, what do I say about this guy? Uh, entertainment attorney, a mentor, family man, you know, one of our favorites, you know what I mean? Give it up for Mr. Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack. <laughs> Testing, testing, one, two. Internet, what's up? Welcome to the Combat Jack Show. Chip, chip. Atlanta, what's up? What's going on? A3C in the building. Listen, can you guys do us a favor? Uh, if you're enjoying this uh, interview with Ninth Wonder, please um, tweet hashtag A3C10, hashtag Combat Jack Show, hashtag Ninth Wonder. How y'all doing today? You know, it's so funny because I think we have a window of about an hour to uh, interview Ninth Wonder. And one thing most of y'all know is I don't know how to conduct an interview. That's only an hour. <laughs> but um, how you feeling, Pete? I'm feeling good. I, this is the most comfortable I, we, I think I ever did an episode. We need these chairs in the studio. In the studio? All right. How would you guys hear about the Combat Jack show? Twitter. Twitter? It's funny because three years ago was the first time we did a live show here, um, and we interviewed DJ Drama and Killer Mike, and I remember it was the entire cast then of the Combat Jack show. It was myself, Dallas Penn, Premium Pete, Just Blaze, Matt Raz, Cheer. A. King, and DJ Ben Hamin, and we were all standing on the stage, the audience, and the audience was looking at us, and we were like... Have you guys ever heard of the Combat Jack show? And the audience was like, no. <laughs> and, then, and then last year was our second year um, that we did two shows with um, uh, one show with Two Chains and another show with uh, Bun B and Maceo. We were like, you guys heard of the Combat Jack show? We heard a couple people go, yeah, we heard of y'all. But you know, this, it feels good. This is our third year, and it, it coincides with the 10th anniversary of A3C. So we feel very, very honored. To be here. So listen, you know, without further ado, man, uh, I want to introduce, you know, our guest to this very special live A3C uh, Combat Jack show. Um, I can honestly say about 10 years ago, um, musically, this man's sound um, had an effect on my life. I was going through a major change where um, I left the career that I was very familiar, familiar with as an entertainment attorney and one of the reasons why I left the music industry, amongst a myriad of other reasons, was I, I wasn't happy with the music that I, that I was listening to. I wasn't happy with the music that was being played on the radio. I wasn't happy with the music that I was forced to, to, to push to, 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 to get to sign to, to record labels and the whole nine. And it wasn't until I left the industry that I had the freedom to really start discovering music that was, quote-unquote, off the grid. 
So, you know, I always say that, that, that the first artist, like the first artist that I listened to, that I was like, wait a minute, there's music outside of what we listen to on the radio and on the videos and on MTV was Doom. You know, Doom's lyricism and the production and just, you know, rhyming about in your face and abstract subjects. I had never heard artistry like that. I didn't think that was possible. And it kind of restored hope. And in, 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 in my passion as being a fan, because I think I don't care if you're two years old or 90 years old, if you don't have something to be a fan of, then what's life worth living, you know? Um, and then another group that I heard um, was Little Brother. You know, I, I was like, you know, I, the name wasn't like in your face, and I hadn't heard of them, but the minute I tapped into them, it was like brand new. It was very soulful, but it also took me back to like the late 80s, early 90s, you know, the, 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 the native tongue sound without proclaiming that they were going to take us back. Because sometimes when Cass is trying to say we're going to bring this back or we're going to bring that back or we're going to bring New York back, that's too much we're going to bring to bring, you know. So I just really appreciated the way, you know, Ninth Wonder and Little Brother really brought that essence back without being up all in your face. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome to the stage, um, you know, I want to call him Ninth Wonder, but I also know in certain circles he's known as Professor Ninth Wonder. So let's welcome to the stage, Internets, Professor Ninth Wonder. What's up, sir? Is your mic on, man? So, yeah. How you feeling, man? I'm good, man. Just trying to. I'm all over A3C this weekend, so. Man, I'm looking at the itinerary, and I'm like, <laughs> Knife Wonder here, Knife Wonder there, breakfast with Knife Wonder? Like, how, <laughs> how many jobs you got this weekend, Knife? <laughs> man, about five, man. Yeah? Yeah, psychiatrist being one of them. You know psychiatrist? I mean? Yeah, man. What you mean? You know, I, I won't say psychiatrist. I, I would say, um, you know, I'm one of the cats that people will come and talk to you about things outside of music. Right. Taught me about life, right? You know what I mean, and and you know I, I truly appreciate that. that because some people think that musicians, especially hip hop musicians, are one dimensional. You just rap, you just make beats, and you're not good for anything else. So you know, but a lot of cats I get, you know, they may hand me a CD, but they may talk about something else, right? And we'll go into a whole different tangent, man. Anybody that knows me, I'm gonna talk to them. So, 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 what are your your consultation fees, man? I don't know, man. You gonna be my manager in that? Nah, man? I'm just saying, man. You can't be expending all that energy and not getting stuff back, man. Well, I'm, I'm a, but I do get something back. Okay. Um, it's a reward in that. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher by nature, and, and most people that teach, how many people are here in the education field? And most people that teach, when they teach, they if they turn a light bulb on in a kid on another person, that's, that's a reward enough. That person, whatever it is, if you taught somebody something, you turn the light bulb on for them, they'll never forget you for that. You can do whatever, but they'll never forget you the day you turned them on to something. And so, you know, that's the reward for me. You know what I mean? Yo, where, where does this, 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 uh, this trait of teaching come from? My mom. Um, my mom has been in uh, education for the last 40 years. And it just comes from being around her and, you know, 
I went to the same elementary school she taught at. So if you ever had a mom or dad that went to, the, you know, taught at the same school you were part of, like that's a weird experience. But it rubs off, and it and it rubbed off on me. And I just got into the whole teaching community and just watching her and with her colleagues and you know stuff like that. And that's where it came from for me. Yeah. Was that what you wanted to be growing up, man? Yeah, I wanted to. You know, it seems like between the ages of three and 10 or 11, all of us have these crazy aspirations to be something else. Like, how many of y'all want to be an astronaut or something? Like, That's the first thing I wanted to be. I want to be an astronaut. Astronaut, man. <laughs> yeah, I want to be an astronaut. I was, man, I saw the movie Space Camp. I was fucked up. <laughs> but I wanted to be an astronaut. And, you know, I'm not really a math person. You know, I'm a humanities thinker, not a science thinker. So... I picked history and, and education, something a little bit more realistic, so I, I went that way. But at the same time, I was in, just indulging in music by, you know, at a large quantity. Just, you know, I was classically trained. I played seven instruments in high school, and, and this is during the same time in the golden age of hip-hop. And all of that was something just lit a fire in me to, you know, at least be a connoisseur. Because, if, you know, back in the early 90s, late 80s, if you lived anywhere other outside of New York City, I lived, I raised in North Carolina, so I probably knew two cats in the state of North Carolina that had a pair of turntables. As opposed to New York City, it was turntables in every corner. Everybody had turntables. Right. But if you grew up in NC, everybody had turntables. Everybody didn't rhyme. It was a phenomenon if somebody actually rhymed at your school. The one dude at your school that could rhyme, and, or two. And so... That forced the rest of us to be fans, and and I was a fan. I was I was a big fan and a big connoisseur of hip hop. Like having having a CD booklet, having a bunch of tapes, was like collecting sneakers. How many hours did you spend reading the credits? A lot, man. I used to I used to read encyclopedias when I was coming up, growing up. From cover to cover. Cover to cover. And they used to Britannica like, or World Book? I was a World Book kid. Yes. <laughs> Team World Book. Team World Book. Britannica was, that was, was weird. too dry, You're man. too dry. Yeah. World Book had the color pictures, whole nine. So we had World Book in our crib. So, you know, reading the World Book and reading encyclopedias made me want to read credits. So it was a certain ring to a credit that when it says, Produced by DJ Premier for works of Mark. Like, that was, I was like, wow. Like, I want to, you know what I mean? Or produced by Pete Rock for Soul Brother Number 1. You know what I mean? That, that, that rung with me. That stuck with me. I thought that was great. You know what I mean? So, I read credits all the time. So, here you are growing up in North Carolina. You're a fan. Yeah. You're watching hip-hop from outside the bubble. Um, you have aspirations to get into education, you play seven instruments, how do you start gravitating to a point where it really starts becoming a career? Well, that gravitation didn't start until I went through like three, four years of college. Because a lot of cats go to college because mom and dad want us to go, or our pops, or we got something to fulfill for our grandmas or something. You got to go to school. You got to get education. You got to get education. So, you know, from the classes I took in high school and whatnot, you know, I was, I was a college-bound kid. 
some kids aren't college bound. There's nothing wrong with that, but I was a I was taking courses to become a college bound kid. You were focused. Focused. And so all of my friends were going to college, and this is the era of a different world where if you watch it was proud you were proud to go to college. If you, if you watch different world, college was the only option yeah. to go. And and I was in that and, and and on top of that I went to an HBCU. And going to historical black college, you know, I wanted to be a part of that whole scene. But it didn't Did you pledge anything, man? No. But it but it didn't but it didn't um turn into a music situation until something lit in, you know, was a fireman that lit that said, you know, I don't want to work for nobody. I mean, we all technically work for somebody. There is the man behind the curtain, yes, okay? Of course. But something told me, said, man, I want to kind of control my own destiny. I didn't know what that was exactly. I mean, I knew music was it, but I didn't know I want to control my own destiny. I didn't know what that actually meant. I just knew that school wasn't for me. What was that spark, though, man? What was the, what was the series of events that led you to that point? I was the kid who had, like, keyboard after keyboard after keyboard in high school, middle school, high school, and college. So I would replay everything by ear. And so, you know, you, everybody has this one kid that they know that you go in their room, they're a quiet kid, they stay to themselves, but then you go in the room, they got all this magnificent art everywhere in their room. And you're like, I didn't know you did all of this, right? You're not supposed to. Right, exactly. And, and, the, and, and they're saying, when you say that to them, they're like, oh, it's just something I do. And you're the person like, no, people need to see this, bro. Like, people need to see what you're doing. This is amazing. And so I was that kid. I was, I was replaying everything in my keyboard, and I thought it was something that was fun to me. But everybody else is like, yo, like, you need to do something in music, man. Like, I know you want to do history and all, but... And it took me to hear that from person after person after person after person to the fall of 1998 where I started making beats on computer. You know, sometimes, you know, getting over the obstacle of our own shortcomings in terms of how we see ourselves or I don't even say lack of confidence, but lack of confidence in certain areas we might not see. Was it someone specifically that, that you probably had a high sense of esteem, for, I mean, a respect for that said that, that, that when they said it, you were like, that's that person. There was a, there was a dude that um, when I first got to, I went to Central for two years, and then I went to, I transferred to North Carolina State University. And when I got to North Carolina State, that was the first time I actually saw an actual hip-hop crew. And the crew was a crew called Lower Thirds. And there was this dude that was like the leader of the crew. Uh, they were on some, like, roots type of thing. Not necessarily with the live band, but they had that like vibe to them. Like, you know, you remember that part in history of hip hop that everybody dressed and looked like Black Thought with the chew stick and all of that? Yeah, 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 that yeah. was in that. Carrie Beats. Right. That was like 95, 96, 97. And it was this one cat, um, he was born in the United States, but his, his parents were from, were from Africa. His name is Omatade Adenye. And Omatade was it still is a gifted rhymer. And I looked up and we used to go to his shows and we used to go to see Lower Third and, and he came to my room one day and he had the longest talk with me. Like Omatati was the first cat I, I met that was, was a Roy Ayers fan who had the Roy Ayers, Ayers double CD, right? And he came to me one day, he said, man, what are you doing, man? Like, 
you know more about music than anybody I know. Like, what are you doing? And he had this long talk with me. He said, just at least try to do something. DJ, do something because you, you just eat this stuff off all the time, man. Like, you can name any album, any whatever. You need to do it. And that just stuck with me. And I was like, wow, I'm going to just at least try to do something. So you made your, that led you to doing your first beat in 1998. 1998. And, and how did that start opening up doors for you? It really didn't open up a lot of doors for me. What it, it, it did one thing. It killed the fear. Doing. Right. Because some people are afraid to step out because failure scares people. You know, being a, because making promises to your family and friends, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it, I'm whatever. You don't want to be the person got to come back home with the tail between their legs. But I always tell a lot of cats when you start now, don't make nobody, don't make no promises to nobody but God. Like, don't make any promises to anybody. You just go for, you put your head down and go for yours. So for me, that's what it was. I just... Once I made my first one, and I made my second one, and I made another one, I'm like, yo, like, I created something that all of us need to create for yourself. Create your own universe. Create your own universe. Mm. It is a protective shield around you, it feels like. So I created this own universe for myself. And I found friends who also made beats. And I found cats who also rhymed and because once you create the universe for yourself, you start to see other people that has a universe just like yours. And that's what it was for me. And that was my comfort zone. And then that's, that's when I met Fonte. You know, it's, it's amazing, man, because, you know, a lot of us have these lofty dreams. And then when we sit back and we look at this mountain of dreams that we have, it's so intimidating. You know what I'm saying? It's yes, like, sir. damn, how do I even start? And it, 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 silly story, but, you know, 10 years ago, you know, when I, when I was in transition, you know, I would guest blog on, you know, Byron Crawford's site, or I would guest blog on Dallas Penn's site, and a year went by, and Cats just kept telling me, start your own blog. And I was like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, it's something as simple as starting a blog. But once right. I started, it was like the pieces of the universe started coming together, man. Right. You know, um... Once again, man, North Carolina, you're looking at New York, you're looking at the West Coast, you know what I'm saying, uh, you're looking at the rise of the South. How do you even fathom or create the belief that your music is going to mean something to people outside of your area? We didn't have that belief at first. Right. Um, our, goal was to, <clears throat> our goal was to make something that sounded good. That was the primary goal. It wasn't to sell a lot of records. It wasn't to do this. Our goal was to let's see if we can make something that sound, sounded good. And when I first met Fonte, he was one of the first people that believed in that idea. At the time, he was, we were both in college. I, I transferred back to North Carolina Central. And, he was, and Fonte was playing football. And when I met him, that's the day that me and him had a love or a, a, a passion for raucous records. This is 1998. Yes. What, what record specifically? Sound bombing. Sound bombing. Right? Sound, uh, yeah, the compilation. And the reason why we had a love for it is because, and I talk about this all the time, 
The year 1996 was pivotal in hip-hop because that summer, it was written drop, stakes is high drop. Everybody bought it was written. Not that many people bought stakes is high. But everybody talked about stakes is high. Everybody talked about stakes is high. So, and you know, I talk about it all the time. My, my people, cats in my studio hit this all the time. It created a continuum. It created a time continuum. The people that bought Nas, it was written, and that's it. They stayed up here. But the people that bought Stakes is High did this. And it created this kind of alternate reality for us. We call it the underground, right? So you buying Stakes is High, not really paying attention. Well, you, you have to pay attention to what's on media because that's what it was. But Stakes is High led you to Dilla. In 96, it led you to Dilla. And, and from there, it led you to most. And it was this whole continuum. Then that led you to the internet. Hip-hop site, Sandbox Automatic, all these sites, where you can actually go, like you said, dig for music on the net. Once you start going there, you start finding people just like you. Fonte was the person just like me because at that particular time, 97, this is the No Way Out Puffy era, okay? Beginning the Master P era. You had a lot of people that was with it, but you had a lot of us like, man, I don't like none of this shit, bro. <laughs> you, you wasn't fucking with, with, with the shiny suits? No. Like, <laughs> I wasn't like it. It was like, and we say all the time, the great strides that Puffy made He's a genius, regardless of what anybody thinks. Puffy, in some, in some shape or form, and Master P, the genius, the, the monetary genius he is and putting no limit together. It was something that happened around that time that made people sit at home and you look at the TV and say, well, shit, I can do that. When I saw Nas on TV and Biggie, I'm like, I can't do that. When I saw when we saw Pete Rock on the SB12 and heard these great records, it's like I can't do that. When we saw Master P make it say could, uh na 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 na. That's all I gotta do. Oh, I gotta what? That's all I gotta do. That's it. Not through the lifestyle. Not not the tricky Nas. Not none of that. Not even Biggie. Make him say uh na 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 na. That's it. <laughs> Oh, I'm in the game. So that created this whole thing that made a lot of us say, no, what's happening? Something is happening. And so a lot of us retreated to the caves. It was like retreated to the caves. And when, when you retreat to the cave and you feel like you're by yourself, the, when you meet somebody that's on the same musical wavelength as you, you're friends forever. Like, and that's what happened. Um, Fonte had a, a source magazine in his hand. And he was flipping through the pages, and he flipped through it. He flipped to a sound bombing ad, and I was sitting there standing right beside him. He was like, "Man, this is what I'm waiting on right here." I'm like, "This nigga's my best friend." Just like that, I'm like, "Man, I thought I was the only one because I was going around telling my friends sound bombing, sound bombing. Like, who is most Who is Quali? Who is? It's all about the Benjamins for me. What the fuck is Fortified Live? And 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 he knew exactly what it was, and I was like, "This is my homie." Only Holly know him. This mom. You know, I never personally met Fonte, but we build on Twitter. We build on social media. I, I love the work that he does. He supports our work. Um, 
Who is Fonte, man? Mm. Fonte, from a from a musical standpoint, is one of the most gifted people that I've ever met. He is one of the greatest MCs that's ever lived. Um, without Fonte, there would be no Drake. I would, I can honestly, one hundred percent say that, and Drake knows that too. Um, he's turned me on to music. He 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 loves hip hop so much, but Fonte was listening to like Four Hero and Tool and Stereo Lab and Daft Punk and Radiohead when it wasn't popular, right? Now Radiohead and Daft Punk and 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 Coldplay are the de facto groups you choose when you want to let somebody or think some, let somebody know you got a musical palette. Fonte was listening to this stuff when it wasn't even popular, and. He's just really, I don't give a fuck, balls to the wall. You know, I used to ask him, when well, he, he graduated Sum Cum Laude from Central. He was the only one out, he's the only one out of me, Fontaine Pooh, that had, has a college degree. Right. And so. Even though you're a professor. Even though I'm a professor. That's crazy. At three universities. <laughs> 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 Including he, Harvard. But he, um, he was the first person I would say, man, like, he was the first person I heard say, my day job is my hustle. It's not my job. It's my hustle. My job is rap. That's before we even made money at all. And he said that to me. I said, man, why don't you just, you assume cum laude from Central, man, in English, in the English department. Go, get, go be a teacher, man. Go get paid. He's like, motherfucker, I'm a rapper. Don't be no teacher. And that's what he said. And that, and that, that balls to the wall attitude, the attitude when he said, man, I ain't trying to beef with cats around here, man. I'm trying to take most and Kwali out. This is before we even finished the listening. I was like, this nigga's crazy. But he he has a whole, I'ma just go for it. And he was recording songs when he was 15, 16 years old, um, before I even thinking about recording songs. He was listening to the spiral gyro when he was 12. He's that kid. And 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 that's just who he is, man. Very headstrong. Any Capricorns in here? Yeah, you know how we are. Like, we can't be moved, bruh. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's who Fonte is. Um, at what point did y'all realize that y'all were really doing something special? The day um, we recorded Speed for the first time, and we listened to it over and over, like 18 times. But we, we listened to it from an from a idea and a standpoint and I talked about it in the last panel, we listened to it like we didn't make it, which a lot of people can't do. You have to be able to step outside yourself and listen to your own music and say, is this right? Is this right? Can I, can I play this song and then play like Water for Chocolate right behind it and it's still being the same? Can I play this and play Fantastic Volume 2 right behind it? Or anybody who we felt were our influences, does it stand up to that? And we felt speed stood up to something at least. And this is 2001. So this is, we coming off the heels of Sound Bombing 2 at this particular point. Reflection Eternal put the album out. Like, that's what we are in, in, in the musical realm. So we listened to it like 18 times and was like, all right, we're going to record a couple more songs. If, if, if it doesn't work, all we got is speed. But if it does work, and then we recorded whatever you say afterwards. And then we recorded... Home, the yo-yo, and the way you do it in one day. 
And that's when we knew, yo, this is turning into something. Without confirmation from everybody. Like, right. we knew we had something. It was like, this is coming out. This is this is some this is damn good. Like this is good. Like if I didn't know these cats, I would like it. This is something I would buy. And and the seal of approval was from Questlove when when he heard it and he went on um okay player, which we were all were uh, uh participants of, and said, um, Little brother, my God, I haven't heard anything this refreshing since Fantastic Volume One. I'm going to play this to everybody, for everybody. This is the official Questlove Little Brother endorsement. And he put it on OK Player. And and y'all lost your shit. My, lost our shit. It must have been sweeter than a, any type of check. It was, it was we were broke. We, 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 we were flat broke. But Questlove from the roots, who... I was still playing and still to this day play Things Fall Apart. Like I over and over said that he was endorsing us from the roots. It's like, yo. And so we felt the effects of it because Questlove, as he does, played the music for everyone. So I'm standing, I'm standing in an apartment, two-bedroom apartment with five dudes. Yeah, pause. And we're... I mean, what it was, just what it was. That's good pause. Good pause. Good pause. But we, we went from we used to trade like futon, bed, floor, couch, in a certain a rotation. Musical beds. Musical, yeah, musical, whatever you later later fuck now. That's what we were, and and a whole ramen, ramen. That's when two for twos from McDonald's was jumping off real tough. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of ramen, a lot of, you know, and I was selling beats for $50 still. And. So some good rappers or some. Whoever had the money. Yeah. I was the, bruh. Yeah. I, my, a large part of my family has made money from the, large part of my family back in Winston-Salem has made money from the dope game. Okay. Right, right, right. I've never partaken in that, but I learned something from it. And what I learned was. If you supply it, they will buy it. Yes. And so if you come in the door, my, my beast fifty dollars. So if you come in the door, you got eighty dollars, you might get two. It's depending on how hungry I am. Right. Right? And so that's what it was. So Quest Love, as he's traveling the world, are playing this record. And this is like pre-cell phones when everybody didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> 2002. Right. And I got a phone call. My man, who, you know, one of my roommates, one of my five roommates, was like, yo, uh, phone for you, man. They're asking to speak the knife. Now, you got to understand that because people are asking for your stage name now, not your real name, right. your stage name. And so they have to speak the knife wonder. And I'm like, all right. So I get on the phone. I'm like, what's going on? Who is this? Oh, is this, this knife wonder? Yeah, this is never wonder. Yo, this is Mr. Walt from the Beat Miners. And I'm like, putting the phone down, like, <laughs> ah, nigga, stop lying. <laughs> it is, ah, it ain't, nigga. And and I get back on the phone with him, and he say, man, yeah, Quest, play me your stuff. I'm like, what? So so he called Groove Attack from Germany. Called, mm. 
Music Soul Child called. Grab Lover, Pete Rock's little brother little called. Brother called right. Then Evil D called. It came in that order. Then DJ Spinner called. So these are calls. All and these I'm, cosigns. Right. Saying, I, I heard the record, man. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing. And I'm like, yo, and I'm calling Fonte. And then that's when, that's when Fonte was working at Belk. Folding up shirts. It was Thanksgiving 2002. I was at home in Winston-Salem. He was working at Belk. And when Fonte calls with something serious, he gets on the phone. He says, nigga, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm at, home, I'm at my brother's. What's up? He said, I'm about to play you this voicemail. I said, all right. So he clicks over, gets the voicemail on, and he's like, and he said, yo, looking for any member of Little Brother. This is the soul brother number one, Pete Rock. What? And Fonte heard that message when he was at work. So I was like, what did you hear the message? He said, I heard it when I was at work. I said, what'd you do? He said, I walked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I walked out. That was it. No, he no. said, I was folding polo shirts, <laughs> and I checked my messages, and I heard that. No two-week notice. I took my <laughs> joint and put it on the joint, <laughs> and I walked out. And that's exactly what he did. And that was November of 2002. December 20 of 2002, we was sleeping on Pete Rock's basement floor. That fast. Yo, you know, the, the, the little detail, though, I mean, people have talked about it before, but the little detail is how you even changed, you guys changed how music right now is distributed online. Exactly. Because now, on, you know, you got a million sites.com and it's a million records from a million rappers you never heard of. Right. And people are fighting over each other to give their music out for free. Exactly. But well, back then on the OK Player. We were afraid. Y'all were like, give why give the Like, talk about that. We were so afraid to give our music out. Like, we gave a, um, how many of y'all got the listening in here? OK. So, the only beat on the listening that I didn't do was the get up. The get up was done by a guy by the name of, Gerald Patrick Williams. So if you listen to the album and Fonte said, this is for fucking Gerald right here. That's who he's talking about. Gerald Patrick Williams is now a lawyer because his computer crashed. And he's like, I'm not going to make all these beats over. So he went to law school. It was crazy. <laughs> I bet you he's miserable. He right. might be miserable. Right. But he went to law school and he's a fantastic lawyer now. But we, he is. He's a great, and he was a great beat maker too. So he gave, we gave him like, Two songs or three songs off the listening that we were working on. And this is 2001, so it's definitely burn the CD, give it to your friends, and tell your friends, don't give it to anybody. You just listen to it. He gets online and sends it off to a guy by the name of, uh, you might know him online as DJ Brainchild. Okay? Brainchild was doing a show a radio show at Ball State University in Indiana. Okay? Questlove, new brainchild. Because Questlove used to come through Indiana to record shop. So I'm sitting over Fonte's house, and I heard Fonte say, man, what the fuck? I said, what happened? He said, man, man, the, whatever you're saying, speed on, online. It's, it's right here on the computer. I said, what's the website? He said, it's called thejohn.com. 
I wonder who put it up. So he called Pat, well, Gerald Patrick Williams, and cussed him out. Like, who you give our music to, blah, blah, blah. Like, our music's online. It's online, man. You gave our music out. Like, <laughs> you know, we working on this album. What you doing, man? Like, he like, my bad, man. I just want somebody else to hear it, blah, blah, blah. We cussing him out. And he's like, man, all right, man. There's nothing we can do. So he posted on OK Play. It says, group, little brother. Group from North Carolina, kind of sounds like Tribe and Slum Village. Tell me what you think. The next morning, we had 400 replies. And I hear Tay and I say, man, you see OK Player today? He said, yeah. He said, maybe putting music on the internet it ain't bad after all. You, you apologize to? Uh... Yeah, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we call him up on three-way. They were like, what the fuck you doing? I'm like, on the other line, yeah, what the hell you doing? So... We was like, maybe music, putting put the music on the internet is, you know. So us just trying something, or the, us brain, thanks to the brainchild of stepping his neck out of doing that, sparked a new generation of how you get on. Who was in, the, who was in that class of, like, the first generation internet rappers, man, other than yourselves? It was us, Cunnilingus, this group called People Under the Stairs. I remember them. This group. These, these Asian cats from Philadelphia called the Mountain Brothers. Uh, these, these cats from Mission called the Athletic Mike League, which out of the Athletic Mike League, a lot of people don't know, birth Mayor Hawthorne, mm. right? Um, a lot of cats, Kev Brown, Odyssey, the whole low-budget crew, right. which that's where I first met Peter Rosenberg because he was their manager at the time. Um... It was a lot of cats just getting it on the internet like that. Like, getting it. And it's crazy how it just changed overnight. And it changed overnight. Right. And, but the most out of that crew, the most successful to get that made, that got a deal off of it, was Little Brother. Yes. So, which led to, now you have a whole legion of kids who are now turned on to our music through YouTube, through the internet, through, through I mean, through, through all these sites the Chitlin Circuit and all of this, and these kids become Kendrick Lamar, Big Crit, Earl Sweatshirt, Young Berg, Kirk Bangs, you name it, Big Sean, any kid that, that's like doing it, Drake, any kid that's like doing it now that everybody's like, you know, whatever, whatever. You, you, you birthed that. That's the, we birthed them. And, they, and they'll tell you like, look, man, like I found y'all on the net. It changed my life. And we, get, we laid the blueprint out, and we didn't even know we was laying a blueprint out, what we were doing. That's crazy. You know, um, I, I mean, I know a lot of people were saddened um, when, when you guys disbanded. Right. I wasn't sad. I was mad at y'all, man. Now everybody's still mad at us. Because, like I said, man, like, and, and, and you know, you, you, you talk about it. You, 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 have, you, say that you have a responsibility to really draw the line in the sand with regard to artistry and music and this craft and this culture that we love. Um, but any regrets behind that, man? It's a lot of regrets. But, but at the same time, I don't know if I would ever have Jamla. Right. I don't know if I would ever be teaching. Right. I don't know if Fonte would ever be able to do foreign exchange the way that he's doing it. Like, Pooh is signed with Mellow Music Group, who's working with Odyssey. He writes for, you know, he's in the studio writing with Dre. I don't know if we ever be able to do that and really grow, but 
you know, we grew up in the EPMD breaking up and the CL, P-Rock and CL breaking Yo, that, up. That EPMD breakup. That was it, boy. I cried like a baby. For some of y'all that, that, that's not old enough. Yeah, EPMD. Man, that, that, that shit hurt. It hurt. It, it really hurt. hurt. <laughs> EPMD breaking up and, and, of course, try breaking up. Yeah, and, that, was, that wasn't right. You know, breaking up, breaking up, breaking up, and then you don't understand it until you become that group. Right. Who split, who does Splitsville. And so, you know, we just had a lot of growing up to do. Right. That's what it was. And, and we wasn't smart enough at some points to keep a lot of niggas out of our circle. Artists, if you have a crew of people, if it's four or three of you, you don't need a bunch of people in your circle to influence. Because somebody's going to be in your ear, somebody's going to be in your man's ear, somebody's going to be, I don't know why, you know, he could have gave you four more bars in that verse, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, and once you put, once you, once you put that little... That's, it's a mess. It's something special. It turns into something else. And, and, and that's what happened to us. Right. We, our three, the bond that we had in our three, because when we walked in Atlantic, we got the deal in Atlantic. We sit at the boardroom table with Craig Carmen and Julie Greenwald and, and the cast is over there still. And they said, so we, we're going to do this with you guys. We were like, no. Y'all don't want to do No. We're not doing, we, we're basically not doing anything y'all say. You gave us the money. You signed us for this. We're going to do what we want to do. Did you have a chip on your shoulder or you knew exactly what you wanted to do? We knew exactly what we wanted to do. We turned the Mr. Show in full. This is the album. This is the single. This is the next single. If you give us the next single, this is it. You don't like it, we don't give a damn. What direction were they trying to push you in? Uh, do a feature with Usher? Do a feature with, I mean, at the time we were on Atlantic, so. Okay. You know, do a feature with whoever the big star on Atlantic was at the time. We wanted to do a joint with T.I. Now, mm. we did want to do that. Right. I can't even imagine. But, but T.I. can rhyme. Right. So to, That's true. He can spit. And so we were big proponents of if you're going to rock with us, we're going to pull you into our world. We're not about to go out and do what you're doing. You're going to come into what we do. And, and that was the biggest thing for us was to do that at Atlantic. And they, they used to, man, Fonte dressed up like Percy Miracles one time. <laughs> no, real talk. Like, if you don't know who Percy Miracles is. Googles. You Googles. Please. So Fonte dressed up like Percy Miracles, and we went. Me and him was roommates on the road. And he, we in the room, and he said, okay, I'm about to go in this bathroom. And when I come out, I need for you to talk to me like I'm Percy Miracles. It's a true story. Did you, did you know who Percy Miracles was? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And he had a blue, like, blue, like, suit with the big ruffles. It was crazy. And the wig and all that and the gold tooth and the glasses. And when he came out the bathroom, hey, what's going on, brother? I said, what's up, Percy, man? And we played that up. He said, it's not going to work unless you talk to me that way. We stayed right down the street. We was in a hotel right down the street from Atlantic. So he said, I don't want to take no cab. I want to walk, baby. I want to walk up the streets. We were walking up the street in New York. He dressed like Percy Miracle. This is when New York was still kind of changing. Right. And we go up in Atlantic, and we go up, and he walks dead up in the meeting. Julie Greenwald, what's up, baby? I'm here. Percy. 
And we're like, oh, he walk, he's walking through the label like that. It was crazy. We did exactly what we wanted to do. And, and what was the response to that? They, everybody was laughing like, it's crazy. But we knew we had something because when we had our concert at B.B. King's, Leo Cohen came. Yeah, all of New York in there. Right. All of New York was in there. And Leo Cohen showed up. And we're outside of the, by the buses. And here he comes walking down the sidewalk. And we turn around, we was like, yo, Leo Cohen came to the show. He's like, what's up, fellas? He's like, what you doing here, man? He's like, y'all my guys. I come to see y'all. Crazy. But everybody was respecting us for being us. Right. And that's what Kevin Lyles, everybody was respecting us for being us. Did, did the label act funny to you, to you guys when you guys didn't meet? September 13, 2005 is the day the album You know dropped. every date, man. I'm a historian. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, you are. That's the day the album dropped. When we walked in, it was raining outside. There was no balloons, no cake, none of that. It was like, the album's out. He was like, is this what this major label shit feels like? Like, we're supposed to have a party. It was business as usual. They on to the next album. We was like, okay, this is what this is. Right. We was like, all right. Honeymoon's you know. over. Honeymoon's over. Yeah. And... You know, although it did what it did, and you know, we got it. We had a video for loving it. I mean, that's what it was. It was the end of it. Yeah. It was like, what? We could have did this on our own. Let me ask you something, man. Like, it, it's kind of hard to to think in an alternative universe. But if you guys had been together, man, what what, what do you think would have happened? Like, where do you think you guys would have gone? Man, there's there's no. We have no idea. Five Dog told me with his own mouth, y'all of a tribe called Quest of this generation. You were. Right? Five Dog. Yes. A member of a tribe of called course. Quest. And 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 I and I I want to believe that. Like, you know, when you got Fife and you got all members of De La Soul saying, get y'all shit together. We need for y'all to do this. Right. They was telling y'all to get your shit together. Nigga, this is about a month ago. When was that hollow? About a month ago at the gym. At the De La Soul, they had a concert in uh, Raleigh. And we're backstage. They're about to go on stage. And Dave looked at me and said, show sure, we're like a little brother. I'm right about now. <laughs> and looked at me. I said, what you want me to do, big homie? Like, what you want me to do? And, and he said, Paz, come here. Merce, come here. He called Mert and he called Mace, and they all standing in front of me like, what we got to do? Tell me what we got to do. This is De La, not one, this is De La Soul, like, telling me we need y'all. It's crazy. So, so what do we got to do, man? No, man. <laughs> <laughs> my, my biggest thing is I wanted my relationship back with my brothers, and right. I got my relationship back with Fonte, yes. and I got my relationship back with Big Pooh, whether... Whatever it is, that's that's what I wanted. Because at the time, y'all seen, y'all seen. It's it's always been two against one, but it's never been one friends with, you know what I mean? Right. Y'all seen Fonte and Pooh against me, and y'all seen me and Tay against Pooh. Right. Not necessarily against them. We was just like, you know, we talked. We gonna do our thing. We gonna travel the world. Me and Fonte went on a world tour. Went to South Africa. Went to Brazil. Everybody's like, where's Big Pooh? But some things happened, and that kind of weighed on me. So I called Pooh, and, and that was it. And we squashed, and that was it. So 
And then that's when me and Pooh started to do records. Pooh was on Jamless Squad. Pooh was on, you know, uh, the last GQ tape. So I'm good with both of them. It's a possibility. No, man. I got peace. I have peace. It's a possibility, yo. <laughs> I know, got peace. The last thing I'm going to say about this, though, man, is that, um, you know, most of our great groups, man, band, the EPDs, you know what I mean? When, when they actually come back, it's not the same. But yeah, I got yeah, a feeling yeah. because... Oh, if we come back. Oh. Because y'all disbanded so young in your career. Right. That, uh, yeah. A lot of the records that, that Fonte and I did on this solo album, Charity Starts at Home, if you insert poo on those... It's crazy. Yeah, the day me and Fonte talked uh, for the first time in four years, everybody hit us up. Wale, Kendrick, Drake... Everybody. So y'all gonna do an album? We gonna be on it? What's up? Like, yeah, what? Yeah. Like, we are like, you know, it's crazy, but, yeah. but you know, who knows, man? Next year is the 10th anniversary. Next year is 10 years of the Minstrel Show. So. So when you guys dropped Minstrel Show, you guys were really saying a lot of commentary on the state of hip hop. It's 2014, man. It's a, did you ever think the minstrelry, we we the, the, the minstrelry would, would, would mutate to such a level? You know what? It's gotten to the point where, and although this brother is is is, is put the Midwest on in an, in an incredible way, I'm I'm working on a I'm working on a project with Har with Harvard called the Top 200 Hip Hop Albums of All Time. And and I'm doing that because we're creating the standard. These are the albums that need to be studied from time on, and we have to do that. We need to do that to create the institution for hip hop, and. This level of influence, um, level of influence was a, was a critically acclaimed albums that didn't sell a lot. So, on that list, I have uh, "Country Grammar" by Nelly. I can't not if I'm looking at hip hop from an objective lens. You cannot talk about that album because that album just exploded the Midwest in a second, right? And it opened up a whole new door, right? And so, but when I first heard Nelly in the midst of raucous records, I thought he was the Antichrist. A lot of us did. We were like, what in the hell is this? Because you're young, you're in the backpack, whatever it's called, you don't want to hear that. But as I got older, I got to learn to appreciate. But to your question, where I'm going to your question is this. Nelly came out, you're thinking... It can't be no anybody worse than this. <laughs> and, and, and again, I'm speaking on these people from a young mind. Yes. Then Chingy comes out, mm. and you're like, it can't be nobody worse than this. Then it goes on a little, then it's like a lot of cats. Jay Quan, a lot of cats we forgot about. It comes out over the years. Young Jock, Soldier Boy. And it's like, Woo. it cannot be anybody that's, that's, Worse than this. It's impossible. It's impossible. And then it's about five other cats that came out to him. You're like, man, did it, yo. Did it, did it, my yeah, to the point, <laughs> to the point that, to the point that these are great for the club and for the atmosphere. These are 100% great records. It creates all turn up is, is our version of Miami bass music. That's all it is. 
You turn it on, we go crazy in the club, okay? And it goes through waves like that. Turn up is now the wave. They get it, whatever. But it's like, yo, man, like, the fuck are we doing? Like, it, it, we, we predicted that with the menstrual show, we were trying to say, this is what the industry wants us to do. We've seen the inside and the workers of the industry. This is what they want us to do. So why feed them that? You know what I mean? Why feed them that? Because they're not going to sign the smart ones. They're going to sign the ones they think that's not smart or don't sound like they're smart. They would never in a million years sign public enemy now if they existed. That's a national. Takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Now as an album is a national threat. That's exactly what that album is. But they're gonna sound, they're gonna sign somebody that is not only gonna sound a certain way, but it's gonna perpetuate a certain stereotype and of a, us. And a certain comfort with us. Right. Exactly. But what that does is it discourages the young artist to make them say, so that's what I gotta do? And it makes them say, well, I guess what I do, the music that I do, it doesn't work. So I have to do this. Just to get on. Just to get on. Not to be successful, there's a difference. Not to make money, there's a difference. Just to get on. Just for everybody to know who I am, I have to do, like I said in the last thing, do you want fame or freedom? That's what it is. And to become famous, I have to be this. Now, of course, we got our anomalies, TDE, but it seems like that the industry is like a, the casino. You go in the slot machine, slot machine, slot machine, slot machine, and the casino is going to let one of those slot machines go off. What does that do for that casino? Everybody runs. So at the point of everybody's putting out independent music and you're doing it on your own, it feels like the industry is like, you know what, man, we'll let y'all have TDE. Because we need for me some of y'all real MCs to stop believing right, 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 in right, us right, again. Right, right. And that's how it feels. It's one Kendrick and a million of these other. One Kendrick, one schoolboy, one ab. And it's a million of these other cats that's like on the airwaves. And I don't knock no man for getting their money. Get your money. But when you get on... Some broadcast talking, they ask you about Michael, Mike Brown, and you say some other shit? Something's wrong with that. Like, that's not cool. Like, when did we get to that point? Like, real G's in the street don't respect that. Right. Like, when, when did we get to that point? So it's like, and you, of course the media runs that. On repeat. It's on repeat. Like, from the, from the, Rappers to the football players, they just run it over and over and over, man. You know what I mean? Covering up the real problem, all the police brutality problems we got. Just covering that up. They talked about Ray Rice more than they talked about Mike Brown. Like, they def They're definitely not talking about Darren Wilson. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yo, like, something in us got to say something. But then we get looked at as the old dude or the hater, or whatever, when you say, my man, you, you acting like a coon, bruh. Like, that's what it is. 
Don't, just because you're from the South don't mean you got to act like a coon. That ain't what that means. I think Outcast showed us that. Better than anybody, Outcast showed us that. The Ghetto Boys showed us that. Mm. Hell, 8-Ball MJG showed us that. UGK showed us that. that. They showed us that you ain't got to act like no monkey on the tube, bruh, to to get to this particular point. And you ain't got to sell your people short like that, neither. Because they're going to get to the point that they think that's all it is. So, you know, that's what we were kind of saying on the men's show. But the lesson we learned from that is when we've made our video for loving it. Mm. Um, BET. BET said that, you know, Little Brother was too intelligent for the BET audience. For their playlist. For their playlist. Stephen Hill and them. They, they, did they tell you that specifically? Nah, they didn't tell us that specifically, but we know what it is. Right. And so we went through that, but then we got a call from one of my mentors, Bun B. And Bun B called and was like, look, man, like, you remember what, remember what Dre said? Is every nigga with dreads for the cause is every nigga with gold for the fall. So please understand when you put out these messages and these stereotypes that everybody who got a gold tooth ain't for the fall, bro. And we had to, you know, and that was my whole idea of learning that real recognize real that the eight balls and the MJGs of the world were fans of us. The three, six mafias was fans of us. You know, the Lil Wayne's was fans of us. The everybody that we think everybody against this commercial versus the underground, all that's bullshit. Like every, all of those cats are fans of mine, fans of mine. I met Gucci man for the first time about three years ago. Mm. And when I walked up to him, I, I always go up and speak to people regardless. If I like their music or not. So, and I walked up to him, I'm like, Gucci, what's up, man? I want to introduce myself. I'm Knife Wonder. Nigga, you got that soul, nigga. That's exactly what he said man, to me. I'm a big Gucci man fan. That fa- I am too. I <laughs> you, for real. But, and, 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 it, and, I, and I feel like it hurts Gucci because now Gucci got all these clones. Yes. And then came out. Right. And it's only one Gucci. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And so, that was the thing for us. It was, we had to understand real, recognize real. And understand that everybody ain't against because they wear a dress a certain way. But we know the ones that's really, like, playing themselves right about now. What's your biggest guilty pleasure, though? Like, in terms of, like, you, you love it, but you like, yo. That people, that people think that I shouldn't. Because, you yo, know, yo, people knife think, really oh, you don't, you don't, you, you shouldn't co-sign that, blah, blah, blah. I'm a big Rich Homie Kwan fan. Nice. Huge. Because I felt like when I first heard the difference between me and you, that's a real story. I'm out here getting mine, you sitting on your ass. That's the difference between me and you. <laughs> I'm like, I rock with homie. I, I like his, I, I dig what he's saying. Right. And, and yeah, Rich Homie Kwan, man. Like, I'm, 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 I rock with Rich Homie Kwan. He got the blah, blah, blah joint out right now. What do you think of the work he's doing with, uh, with the, the whole Rich Gang thing, though, that we, I just mentioned? I haven't got too much into that. Right. But, you know, the beauty of it is, everybody, if I get on say, I want to do a record rich on McCoy, like, oh, my God, you selling out. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but the thing about it is, I always tell these cats when they come rap with me, you're going to rap over some soul. You rapping over some soul. And him singing the way he's singing over some chopped up Al Green, ooh. 
you imagine like I chop up all like Al and the Osley brothers and because he he's great at melodies. Yes. Let's not get this confused. See, but that's that's the thing also. Some another producer told me that the crazy thing about music right now is these cats might be spitting trash lyrics, but as a musician, when he I don't want to say when he dumbs down his mind, but when he turns that switch off from being a lyricist fan to just like sounds, it's like they know what they're they doing. They know melody. Right. Him, you can't judge her, is no different from ready or not, here I come. There's no, we say, oh, but that's Lauren. No, we're talking about melody. Catching your ear in melody is very important. That's always been in hip-hop. Nice and smooth is funky, also hip-hop junk. That's always been around. So him doing that, we might not like the subject matter, or we might not like the texture of the beat. As my brother, big brother Evil D would say, hip-hop went wrong when hip-hop lost its bottom and its thickness, and everything became electronic and right. thin. Thinny. Thinny, yeah. right. We might not like that, but I promise you, if me and Rich Homie do a tape, I'm going to chop up Al. Isley Brothers, all of that. Willie Hutch, can you, what? It's going to be the ultimate pimp album, like. But I know I'm capable of pulling that off. Right. Is, is this the first time you're putting this, this out in the universe? No, it's been some talkings between me and his camp. Okay. Through some folk, but, I mean, out loud, yeah. Like, you know, I, I ain't got no problem working with no rapper. Right. Is it the fact No that rapper? I take that back. <laughs> but if I see genius in what you're doing and what you, what you got going on, know that we can work together. But know that I'm not gonna I'm not about to make none of that bullshit, bro. Not me. Right. You know what you come to me for. Right. So we gonna do some of this, and it works every time. You know, one of the things that you also credited for is when you zero in and do these projects with these with these with these solo specific artists. Right. You know, Buckshot. Gene Gray, David Banner. Right. Which which one did you have the most fun with, man? Man, David Banner is a riot, bruh. Like, I've, I've, I had fun with them all. I, had, I learned, I had different type of fun with different ones. I, I learned a lot from David Banner, and that was fun for me because if you know David, like I'm pretty sure you do, he's an interesting character. Like, to know David is to know David. But you learn so much from him. He's one of the smartest brothers in this game, too. Um, but I learned a lot from him. So that was fun. It was a great experience. The Buckshot experience was fantastic because now I'm a fan working with Buckshot. Right? I'm a fan working with Buckshot. I'm still a fan. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the booth. I'm, I'm at the studio telling him to do rhymes of the songs I like from back in the day. We did a joint on um, a gentleman's squad called At Night. He rhyming low in that low buckshot voice. But I got him there because I said, rap like you did on I Got You Open the Remix. And he did it. And then he was like, at the beginning, original crooks, original head. What? And I'm sitting there seeing it live. I'm like, bro. Like, so that was fun. Working with Murs was my ticket, my one-way ticket to the West Coast. Mm. I probably, to be honest, 
I probably get more love on West Coast cast than Southern cast. I can honestly say that. Really? Yeah. Like, the black population and the Latino population in, in the West Coast, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Like, it's, 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 it's fantastic, man. But that came from working with MERS. Right. And MERS showed me about that whole side of, of Los Angeles. Yeah. One thing that I that I that I that I that I cherish is um those album covers you did with Jean Grey. Yeah, that was and her genius. idea. Genius. That was her idea. Public Enemy. That was her mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Black Sheep. Mm-hmm. Which one was your favorite cover? The Public Enemy one. Public Enemy one. Yeah. Is it, with you playing Chuck and yeah, yeah that was that was amazing, man. Public Enemy one. Who else do you want to work with right now? In terms of like giving your full time and attention to a full project. Doom. 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 Um, <laughs> T.I. Because I think when T.I. rhymes over soul shit, he, when he rhymes like that slow rhyme pattern over soul, yo, he can't. Because, yo. Raekwon the chef. Mm. Um, man. Uh, J. Electronic. I can hear J. Electronic. Yeah. On your, on your beats. He's but JLA is one of those cats I want to be a, just a fan of. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I get one with him, I get one with him. Yeah. If I don't, Jay's, I'm good. Jay was trying to go, he's got to put out his home project first before he even starts the project. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's get them focused on that. I'm just saying. The patents, yeah, patents and nobility. And I know Jay, Jay used to, I used to see Jay when he used to wear slippers, you know, like just come walking around, you know, to hear something with you. That would be incredible, yeah. but but the world needs to hear something from him first. But yeah, I, I think that um, I'm I'm a big fan of not ruining the chem- ruining the chemistry that the artists already have with artists. Right. And Jay Electronica and Just Blaze is unstoppable. One hundred percent. You know, um, when you guys were coming up, uh, you you tell a story about how, you know, even though cats were labeling you guys as like conscious or like you know serious rappers, right? You also did things purposely to show that you guys weren't just a particular, you, you talked about topics that people didn't expect you to, and you talk about how there was kind of like a race between you and another underground conscious rapper, Kanye West. Yes, sir. To put out that dichotomy that we could be conscious and ratchet at the same damn time. I can, we can honestly say without a shadow of a doubt, and you can, of course, going to run to Twitter and the Kanye fans are going to jump all over this. But tweet it. Tweet it, it. it. But it wasn't, it would be no college dropout if it wasn't the listening. Because we were the first ones to do common man rap. Not necessarily being underground and saving the whales or burning incense. No, we wasn't doing that. <laughs> we were just talking about regular everyday stuff over soul beats, which hadn't been heard in hip-hop in a very long time. And which led us to do the record with Kanye, I see now, when we did it on, um, um, on uh, the Chillin' Circuit. He, he was spitting that shit on there too, man. Yeah, he was, yeah right, right. And, and we, without a shadow of a doubt, we, say, we can say we influenced Kanye's career. Yeah, I don't problem saying that. Like, in that stage of his career. Right. But we would have never, the Yeezus and Beautiful Dark and all of that stuff, nah, that's... That, that's Kanye. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, right. <laughs> 100%. And, um, but definitely, you know, that, you know, Fonte, when we did the yo-yo, 
Y'all know them niggas that I'm talking about, the ones y'all be seeing at the coffee house. As soon as they started, I started walking out. Like, <laughs> like, and nobody really paid attention. Everybody wanted to put, his, put us into this box. Right. Just like they put Slum Village into the box. But they talk about Menage Trois on their album. You're not listening? Like, you underground rap fan is not listening to the fact that Dilla is talking about strippers and, and Batin. Batin was nasty. Debauchery. He was talking about the debauchery on his records, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, fellatio interference, promiscuous homosexual. Are you not listening to what's going on? So it's like when people at the underground box on you, they automatically think, oh, you're conscious. Little brother was never conscious. Yo, why, underground, why underground rappers be so mad, though? They no, man. They be mad and tight. They, they just mad all the time. They want that love, man. They want that love. <laughs> Yo, um... How do you, in the, in your early career, how do you not give Jay Z the track that he wants? He wanted he wanted the, which track did he want? Loving it. He wanted loving it. How do you not give him that track? Because I because I gave him thread, so we good. But he but but was there an <laughs> argument though? Was he like yo? I really no no. Nah, it wasn't an argument. I told him that uh, um. I went back and confided with the team first. I'm like you know Jay Z want this beat. Niggas was like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a record to it. Like, what? I'm like, all right, cool. I don't want to at least come ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, but um, we had threat, so you know, it was it was it was all good. Like Did you ever doubt yourself, man, in terms of yo, know, are you selling out when you, you know, you're representing your crew and you're representing the underground, you're representing the region, but now you're doing records with Jay-Z and 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 and, and Destiny's Child, did you ever have that moral conversation with yourself? Like, yo, my dude. And, you, and to, you... to be honest, yes. <laughs> you know, 2002, 2003, if you were on the radio, everybody, we just hated everybody on the radio. Everybody. Everybody. 2001, from 98 to 2002, if you were a radio artist, You was mad too, right? Man, we, man, we, we had, because we had Slum and we had Raucous and we had, you know, Supreme Clientele was out, but the only record on that was on the radio was Cherche Lagos, and but he was from Wu-Tang, so he was safe. So we didn't, Jay-Z, what? Like, my, my career trajectory was, I was supposed to work with Moe's, I was supposed to work with Common, this is the Young Mind again, I was supposed to work with Kweli, this is my, where I'm supposed to go. I get a call from Jay. Now Jay himself. From Young Guru. Young Guru. Well, from, from T Smith, who who T Smith was T V T Smith. Yes, who who was the main videographer on the movie Fade to Black. Yes. And him and Young he knew Young Guru and then Young Guru hit me and said he was a fan of Little Brother because he bought the listening and fat beats in New York. So that's how that came. And so you got these Mainstream cats. Yeah, that are I got fans Jay, of yours. I'm going to play beats for Jay Z, the underground dude, who, who just did. I just did good old love for Master Ace. Oh, such in, a great record, man! In 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 August of 2003. That's a great record, man. Right, and at the time, just from a money standpoint, I was making beats for fifty dollars. My price jumped to three hundred dollars because one of my homeboys went to the NFL by the name Corn Robinson. He played for. Uh, <laughs> so you was balling. Yeah, he had a rapper dude. So he he was like, I want to buy some beats for my little homie. I said, How much? 
because I give you three hundred dollars a piece. I want to buy five. What? Fifteen hundred? What? What? What you spend your money on? Oh man, I got some groceries. <laughs> <laughs> got me a couple of Echo shirts, a flight jacket. Look, but but I, you know, he was like, look, you know what I mean. I want to do that. So I, then I was selling beats for $300. Then I met this kid from Portland named Braille that rhymed. And he sent me, I sold him two beats for $750. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So Master Ace bought Good Old Love for me for two grand. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I went from the Little Brother Records and all the cats I was working with in the hood. $50. My man called around, to Master Ace, to Jay. Jay was my first mainstream look, right? And that was just kind of crazy for me. How much crazy. was that? We ain't talking hey, about that what? right now. Hey, easy, easy. Hey, no. hey. Just notice, just before, notice. Before just combat notice. was in your pockets. Just now notice. I'm at, you know? Just notice, just notice. I went to the bank with my Jay-Z check. And, and this is Raleigh, North Carolina. And the check had Def Jam recordings at the top. And then it had my name, it had the price. And then it had, for services on the Black Album, Jay-Z, they had Sean Carter, and all this stuff at the bottom. What? So I walk in, I walk in the <laughs> bank, and they put Ninth Wonder on the check, not my government. Oh, man. It's one of them it's big all, checks, one of them big checks. No, nah, I was, you know. <laughs> So we walk in, I walk in the bank, and this was, it, bro, listen. This just shows you the difference between how black people treat black people. I go into the black bank first thinking I got, I'm good, I'm going to go in here. And they looked at my check. They said, is your name Knife Wonder? I said, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, that's me. They was like, nah, you need this, you need that. I said, look, I got a Source magazine in the car. I'm going to go get it. It's got my name. You can see me. It still wasn't good enough. I said, all right. Source magazine wasn't good in the hood? It wasn't good in the hood, <laughs> B. It was my name. I had a picture. I showed it to them. I said, I, did a, I, did a, I just did a beat on the Jay-Z album. Like, you got to give me. It's November. It's prime time, Christmas shopping time. I need my money, okay? We going to do it big this Christmas. So I'm like, Get my money, man. And they like, they, they wouldn't give it to me. So then I left. I said, all right. And this is the state employees credit union in North Carolina. So I go to the white state employees credit union. Same, same bank. Totally white. White, white people. So I go in and I ask me to the branch manager. And she had a country accent and everything. And I showed her everything I had. And I showed it and I told her of the bank. And she said, as long as you give me a, 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 w, a tax form, whatever, you're good. And I cashed that check that day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I put it in the bank. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Did she call you Mr. Night Wonder? Yeah. I'm still, we're still, like, she's, like, high up in the, this is 11 years ago, so we're high up, she's high up on the, like, state employees branch. Like, we keep in touch. Whole nine, man. Like, we on, we on the Christmas, we send Christmas cards to each other. <laughs> I send her family, she send it to mine. And so, I cashed that check, bro. That Christmas was off the chain. Yo, I want to give a shout out to Skills. He's in the building. Chip. My man Sean Fallion's in the building. Salutes. If, I, if I'm not seeing My you. My big brother. What's up, brother? Yes, sir. Yo, 
so let's jump, man, to Harvard University. Yes, sir. You're a Harvard fellow. Yes, sir. What is that? A Harvard fellowship. Uh, 1975, the Du Bois Institute um, chose 15 scholars from around the world um, to come study at Harvard for three years. A couple years ago, they added, they changed uh, two of those 15 to two hip-hop fellows because the National Hip-Hop Archive is at Harvard, ran by Marcy Morgan. And I was chosen to be one of those. And so what I had to do is I had to come up with a research project a colloquium to present. It's fancy. Yeah, very fancy. <laughs> to present in front of Henry Louis Gates my quote unquote thesis on why I'm studying what I'm studying. And that's what the, that's what the Harvard fellow was. It's a three year program. Um, but I was pulling double duty because I was doing that, but they also commissioned me to teach a class. And I'm part, I am officially a part of the Harvard community for the next six years. Wow. So, that's what that is. Yeah, but, but how did you get selected for that? Like, what was, how, I had how to write that, an essay, right. I, had to, um, I had to get, um, I, had to, I had to write an essay. Okay. Was it intimidating, man? I can honestly say that the classes I took in high school and in college, being, being a history major, prepared me for that to be able to, oh, write a paper, that's nothing. I can do that. Get a resume, oh, that's nothing. And you had to have five years of hip-hop experience. <laughs> that's crazy. Crazy. So, so the, the class you teach is hip-hop history? Yes, hip-hop history. And These are the breaks. These are the breaks is the name of the course? Yes. And you, you're teaching kids that don't know anything or might not know anything about it takes a nation of millions or stakes is high. Well, it depends because now we didn't see this in hip hop coming. Now, but it came. It's here. Now we have kids whose parents listen to those albums. Yes, they're old enough. Well, they're young enough that their parents listen to. I get kids in my class that that say, "Yeah, man, my dad played low end theory all the time. Like them, the classics. Low end theory are the classics to this kid." You know what I mean? Who's 18, who was born in 96. You see what I mean? So now, low-end theory, Illmatic, and all of these great records from the early 90s are now the great records of... To them, that's our songs in the key of life. Parliament and Funkadelic. Parliament Funkadelic. Right. So... Now we're getting to that. So now when I'm talking to kids now, they're not too far removed as you think because now because I'm talking about the classes their mom and dad played. Yeah, I'm starting to see a shift with younger cats. Yes, that's like, the shift. Like cats didn't know Illmatic, and now the younger cats that's why behind they, them know Illmatic. Right. That's, why they, that's, that's what birthed Joey Badass. Right. Mm. That's what birthed Big Crit. I said, when I first met Big Crit, I, somebody, some cats might have seen the video online. I said, prove me right, brother. Where did you get your music influence from? He said, on the way to school, when I was in daycare, my dad played um, Southern Playlistic all the time. Yep. I said, you are proving my theory right. Now, you really go comprehensive with your history course also. You don't, you don't just teach about the music per se, but the situations and occurrences that were surrounding our culture, our general culture. You talk about the Immigration Act? The 1924 Immigration Act. What does the Immigration Act? The 1924 have to Immigration do with Act. 
1924, the Immigration Act stated that only two percent of only two percent of the United States population uh, of immigrant population can enter the United States via New York City. Okay. Um, What's that poll position? Bruckham, get your phone. So that's so that's what that is. Right. Um, but the 1965 Immigration Act changed from 2% to letting 100, the U.S. approved 170,000 visas in New York City. And a majority of those visas moved to the Bronx. So what does that do to the Bronx? It changes from a majority white and Italian situation to white Italian, Caribbean, African, Latino, Asian. So what do you do with that population? Something's bound to happen, and most of the time when people can't talk to each other through language, they talk to each other through, through music. That's why Incredible Bongo Band sounds the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Apache sounds like that because it has so many influences in it. Afro-Latino yes. beats in the whole nine. Yes. And I, I'm sorry, y'all. I got to pee, bro. Let's take a quick break. Thank you. Cheer. I've been Into a bit the- fidgeting. I drank a lot of water today. <laughs> I'm grown, I'm going to tell y'all. The Combat Jack Show. CombatJackShow.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Internet's round of applause for DJ Wally Sparks. Chitch. Not only is he a nice DJ, but he's a great individual. Man, what up, Wally? Listen, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. We're not going to keep y'all that much longer, man. I had like only a, a couple of more questions. No, we can talk some more. But, but, but nature that. called. I like that. Yeah, I had to do it. I like the way you had to do that, man. I had to do it, bro. Listen, man, um, you talk about teaching. Yes, sir. And the way you talk, man, it seems like you have so much more passion for teaching that it looks like down the line you would rather do that for the rest of your life than than be in this music industry? Yeah, it's a guaranteed check. (laughs) Guaranteed chair. Yeah, I know. Like, you know, unless you have an office position at, at, at a major label, there is no direct deposit. You know what I mean? Every month. And healthcare. Yeah, benefits for your teeth and you 401k. know what I mean? All that your four one you know, all of that stuff. There's there is nothing that exists in that if you're an artist. You have to get that stuff yourself. But for me, it was the ultimate medium for me to to do that. Because that's still needed in any job that you that you do, and and I can see myself get more into that. I, but I but I think all of us as 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 artists and practitioners of the culture need to teach because we didn't learn this shit from a book. We didn't learn it from hip hop. Is one of those things you can learn from a book. You can learn from you know you got some hip hop scholars out there now that's. They may have been a jazz scholar or they may have been a music scholar, but now they sing hip-hop scholarship is the new thing, so they go out and buy Illmatic and call themselves a hip-hop scholar. And it's like, nah. They'll go buy two albums. They'll go buy Illmatic and N.W.A. straight out of Compton and call themselves, oh, I'm a preeminent hip-hop scholar. And it's like, no. In order to really, in order to really talk about this culture, like we talk about it as scholarship in itself, we are um, we are walking encyclopedias of knowledge of music. You know what I mean? We talk about we talk about um, the music 
and we talk about the source material the music comes from, some geniuses walk on this planet that knows about those things just by nature. Now, let TV tell it or let the media tell it that hip-hop is not a genius art form at all. We know better, though. We know better that if you have never heard of Wu-Tang Clan in your life, you'll be lost if you try to listen to the music because there's so much layered in it. So I just feel, you know, for me, that's just a great place for me to be because I want to be one of the leaders in that. Instead of somebody else teaching it, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And then 50 years down the road, we look stupid. Well, I'm glad you said that, man, because I never thought it would be possible that even in 2014, we would be looking at the threat of our, not even just the minstrel read that's going on, but the threat of our culture actually being co-opted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, just the... Timberlands of the new fashion craze. You're right. It's... it's this is basically letting somebody else tell our story and basically letting, you know, from a mainstream level, letting the rest of America know they think that's what hip-hop really is. And it's not. It has nothing to do with the culture at all, you know. And, and, and it's important that we... I try to encourage all my brothers and sisters that are practitioners in this culture to go teach it. I promise you... Can no professor, no, can no professor do or talk about the culture the way you can? Only thing you have to do is create the syllabus. That's all you have to do. Create the syllabus, create what your course plan is going to be, have them do some papers. You can teach that class. It's, it's like, you know what I mean? There was not always there, an art degree Getting a degree in art, didn't, at one point, that didn't exist. Somebody had to create the degree. And, and I think it'll, it'll stop all these cats from running rampant and saying what's, what's hip-hop and what's not, what's classic and what's not. Like, it needs to be institutionalized, but it needs to be institutionalized by the practitioners first. We have to look at ourselves as practitioners of the culture as opposed to just making records like with the knowledge that we walk around and carry around people kill themselves for that like they it's a whole sect of people that want to understand what we understand just by us living and they don't and so for us we need to all of us need to teach it I, all the kind all the time I tell cats all the time man find a school man and go teach some classes if we all do it, come on, man. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you, you're having a lot of critical success right now. Critical success with your label, Jamla. Yes, sir. And, you know, your unwavering support, particularly behind your artist, Rhapsody, man. Right. Um, once again, man, in 2014, man, why would you get behind a woman who is an MC? Well, first of all, I get behind MCs, period, whether woman or man. And I get behind anybody. People always ask me, why do you sign who you sign? Why do you deal with who you deal with as far as music? 
for me, talent is great. You know, you can spit bars, all that's great. But if I, if I see your heart ain't in the right place, I can't do nothing with you. Because your expectations of the industry and my expectations are two different things. The places, the places where you want to go and the places that you want to do and the, 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 the heights you want to achieve, they're not, they might not be on my agenda. You might want to go find somebody else to get you that agenda. I look at it as, as my artists know, I'm a big college basketball fan. We run a certain offense. I'm going to recruit the players that fits in my offense. If you don't fit in my program, then go play for somebody else. That's what it is. So I recruit in my system the players that fit in that. And, <clears throat> you know, with rap, it's been moving kind of fast for her because as a solo artist, this is only year three and a half. We put out our first tape in December of 2010. We're now in October of 2014. So I know some artists, it took Crit like eight, nine years, bruh, to get to where he is. It usually takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Exactly. So, you know, and my, my label also tell you, She's the one, two, three. She's the fourth artist I released. I released Tom Hardy first, the Tom Hardy. Actual proof after that. Big Remo after that. Tom Hardy put out another tape after that. And then I put out rap. Now, at that point, it was something about her that people were drawn to. Because what a lot of people don't understand about music is... People got to like your ass, man. Don't give a damn how much you rap. Right. If don't nobody like you, you're done for. Yeah, if they don't like you. Yeah. If they don't like you, not your rhymes, so to speak, they have to like and fall in love with who you are. And that's what it was. So when I started, to, you know, we put our return of the B-Girl, that's all I was getting from, like, legends in the game. When they met her, Knife I like a spirit. Till it got to the point where they started to hear a rhyme. And like I said, we said rock the bells. And I'm seeing Expect the Deck. And I'm like, Expect the Deck, what's up? I'm, being, I'm fanning out. They go, Expect the Deck and Capadonna. I'm like, Expect the Deck, what's up, man? What's up? Knife, what up, man? And what Rhapsody at? <laughs> <laughs> and Capadonna, like, yeah, what, what show did it rhyme at? <laughs> I'm like, damn, man, you would fuck me then, you know what I mean? So it's, that just told me something, that every label needs a flagship, every label needs a label head, and the way I am as a, a CEO, in order to be a flagship of my label, you must be for the team. You can't be for self. And anybody in the label will tell you, Rhapsody is not for self at all. And, you know, at the same time, her not being for self, we also had to let her know that, okay, you must find your alpha dog. You can't be nice all the time. Not in rap. Not in rap. 
you must find your alpha dog. And and that's what it was. So through several conversations, you know, her and Clark Kent, and she got the best mentors in the world, like Clark Kent, DJ Premier, Kendrick Lamar. Like these are some of her mentors and friends and peers, Absol. Like, which is funny. The only female mentor she's has in the game is Miss Jean Grey mm. and Rod Dicker and mm. Lady of Rage. Wow. That's it. You think it should be more. It's not. All of the men, the Nazis, the, the J Electronicas, all of these great MCs are the ones that's in her ear. Right? So as a CEO and a label head, what do you do with that? You push it to the brink. And so that's, you know, not to say to my other artists, my man Hollow is here, GQ, Big Remo, Actual Proof, Heather Victoria, all of my, my label, I'll add to who I signed from Chicago, who's coming out next. Not to say that they're not doing great, but we need a leader. And she represents the culture, and she rhymes her ass off. And But the problem is, most men won't listen to her because she's a woman. Because they can't put down their ego enough. But, but is it ego, is it also conditioning? It's that, both. That, it's that, conditioning, too. That we should only have, just like Hollywood can only have one top black We need actor. only one female. Yeah. Right. And the thing about rap is, she's wanting to be the best MC. She don't give a damn about being the best female MC. She wants to be the best MC. So, you know, when, I, when we push her away, we push her, you know, we like, you know, are we doing this right? Are we whatever? But I went, when, when I get a text from Nas saying, your girl killing it, bro. <laughs> this is Nas. This is not, this is not, this is, Nas. And I like, I mean, we probably don't want to talk about it, but I like what you said off air about what Nas was saying. What he said to me about her. Yes. This is Nas saying, yo, this is Absol hitting me and like, yo. Like some people tweet just to tweet. But whatever. No, no, no. These are, we ain't signing no major record label. It's all independent. It's all independent. People can love me and not love my artists. They don't have to love my artists. They can just love me and little, you know, me or little brothers a collective. They don't have to give a damn about my artists. But when Young Guru comes to me and say, "I want to mix that Rhapsody record, bro," mm. so he mixed this last one. So I'm like, "I got some, bro," and you know, and when Nas and cats like that say, "Keep, you got some," just that's your one. Not to say nobody else is not your one, but. And your one may change over time, but right now. And you and you heard this advice before. Yes, <laughs> I've heard. You've heard it years. You know, or it's it's, it's actually it. become a pattern because if you look back, all these cosigns, all these calls have come in. Even when Pete Rock was calling you, you couldn't even believe it. But now it's funny because it's like, it's amazing to see how much you that you had a part of this. Right. You know, your artists, like people are calling you from back then still to now. You know, even like with Quest Love, you mentioned that he gave you the cosign earlier. Recently yeah. he just gave Rhapsody. He just he just tweeted rap, he said the cosign. 
everyone please invest for an, invest in a real MC for once. Not real female MC. Real MC. Invest in an MC for once. Rhapsody, Beauty and the Beast, iTunes link. Quest don't like nobody, bro. You understand? <laughs> you, you understand? Like, no, he don't like nobody. He don't. He don't he's like the ultimate music, musical snob. Yeah, he, he's a snob. He's a snob. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? I can't. I, yo, we, but, I, yo, but it's crazy. We we got we got a a, a quest cosign this year. I couldn't believe. That. You know I what I mean? When it, you man. get one from him, it's like he he can he controls whether we want to like it or not. He controls the side of authenticity yes. in hip hop, and so you know, there's been a lot of you know. Cosigns behind closed doors, not behind closed doors, but there's been a lot of cosigns. People might be like, okay, yeah, word, that's what's up. But when I got Quest, Nas, Quali, Feral Munch saying that she can rap, bruh, are you niggas wrong or me? <laughs> so we running with that. Yeah. And we just put out Beauty and the Beast Tuesday and. Phones ringing. I've been getting some crazy calls. More, more cosigns are on the way. Yo, I, in, in retrospect to what you're just saying, and I had to, I had to tell you this because you said Quest don't like a lot of people, but you know what? A lot of people like you, and I can't let this episode end without saying this. Whenever I hear your name, whenever in any circle, whether it be artists or fans or people, so many people always say Ninth Wonder is not only a great producer. He's a great person. I appreciate that, bro. No, and, and this ain't only me. This is, I'm hearing this from people. So, I, I mean, it, it's got to be a great feeling to know that people, not only do they admire your work, they admire you as a person. All you got in this game, artists is in here, all you got is your name, bro. At the end of the day, all you have is your name. And in this game, your name can be sugar or your game can be shit. And for me... I just have a great respect and admiration for my pioneers and legends and my peers. If you are labeled a practitioner and a participant of this culture and you're great at what you do, I salute you in no way, shape, or form. Like, I give it up to you. That's how it was supposed to be. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Huge. My Zulu Nation chapter is the Black Jedi chapter. So I read a lot of Jedi code. And a lot of Jedi code comes with that. Jedis, represent, Jedis recognize other Jedis. This is just how this is. Everybody can't be a Jedi, but that's what it is. And so I have a great admiration to the point that it may get on some cast nerves, but no matter what I do, whoever I work with, and I'm not saying this because he's in here. Skills is always my big bro. That would never change. Like it's, some cats get to a point, they kind of forget what they, you know. But you never forget the OGs and the older gods. Like you cannot, you will not survive in this game if you forget that. Them, them old, them, who, the, who your big brothers are. And I got a lot of, a, a council of big brothers that I confide in and I talk to and they will forever be, no matter what record I do, whoever I work with, they will be my higher counsel. Everybody needs a higher counsel. And 
I don't know, maybe that's where it comes from, but that's I 100% truly believe in that. And I know and I understand and know my place. I got two more questions for you, man. Um, being that you know history and you study history and you teach history, you know, you, you, you can't tell what your future is unless you know what your past is. Looking at what's going on right now in, 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 in our society, man, this police brutality and racism, and just it seems like, you know, particularly black culture, man, we've lost a lot of uh, 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 ground, it mm. seems, over the past mm -mm -mm. several years, man. What, what do you think is going to change? Knowing your, your, with your knowledge of history and, and, and studying what you've studied. You man. know, you kind of wait for that moment where something happens that, that this generation kind of wakes up. And my first, in this semester, my first uh, class at North Carolina Central, I used the Ferguson case to kind of parallel that on, a, on, a, on, a, on our dry race board. I put Mike Brown 2014, and I drew a line all the way across and put Selma, Alabama 1955. And I was like, can you, just by me drawing this line, what's the connection? You know, you kids used to say that civil rights and all of that was like a thing of the past. Oh, nobody want to hear about Martin Luther King. Don't nobody want to hear about that until Ferguson. And then I say, well, just to think, Ferguson is everywhere. This one city is everywhere, all over the CNN, every blog. Ferguson, 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 Ferguson. I said, imagine if this was 1955, what was lynchings going on all the time? Right, and segregation and all this crazy stuff. Imagine if Emmett Till was on CNN, bro. You know what I mean? Like, and we had the internet then. You kids wouldn't be able to survive. It'd be like sensory overload. But this one city is all over the place. So don't think you're too far removed from that time period. You're not far from moving from that. And this is showing you why you're not. I thought it was going to be Trayvon Martin, but this Mike Brown situation it's on fire. has got a lot of kids like, yo, like it's really real out here. It's really, it's really real out here. We really need to do something and, and, and shake some things up. So hopefully that'll be the catalyst. I hate that young man had to lose his life. But you know, life works like that. Like it works in, you know. I hate that young man had to lose his life to make a whole generation of kids wake up. Stand up, yeah. And then my last question, man, you told us about the Star Wars thing, but can you tell the audience something about you that nobody never heard of before? Tell us, like, a little bit more about who you are. I don't do horror flicks, bro. You don't do horror flicks? <laughs> Yo, check it. So I went to... Um, I do horror flicks. Nah, and my man, <laughs> my, my brother E. Jones, one of my producers back there laughing at because he always... Any movie to come out like um, The Conjuring or something like that? Nah. I just, uh, <laughs> true story, I just uh, lectured at the College of Charleston this past Monday. And uh, Charleston in South Carolina, if you notice, if you know, is very, has very old architecture. A lot of those houses are like old houses from the 1800s. So they have me standing in this like boarding house with the wooden floor. The wooden floor is uneven. It's got the bathtub in it with the claws at the bottom. It looked real old, just real it's old. Like claws. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, the one the standalone joint. <laughs> then it then it got the old grandma sheets on the bed. 
and all of that, right? And so, and it's got the old pictures on the wall or whatever. And I walk in the room, it's like 11.30, and I turn on the TV, first commercial come on is the Annabelle commercial. <laughs> I slept with them lights on all night, dog. This is Monday. Lamps on, everything on, TV on. I don't do for horror flicks, man. I do, I do not do. You had a bad experience or what, man? I just don't do them, man. Yeah. Any, anything, anything to deal with the occult and the devil and all this, and no. Y'all seen the Annabelle commercial, man? <laughs> when, the, the, when she's like a little girl and then she turns to a grown. Nah, I don't do none of that, fam. <laughs> nah, I'm good on that. I'm good on that. Yo. That's one thing, though. It's Professor Ninth Wonder, man. Thank you so much, <laughs> Thank you, bro. man. <laughs> I want to open up the floor to some questions and answers. How are we going to do it? Raise your hands. Uh, ninth is going to pick. Come on, bro. Introduce yourself and any questions. Yeah, I'm Tay Lee, man, uh, straight out of Memphis, Tennessee. I wanted to ask you... Um, I know my personal favorite Fonte verse is whatever you say, but what is your favorite Fonte verse? One of my favorite Fonte verses is the verse off of um, it was an artist by the name of Binky Fingers, and he did a he had a song called "Play the Music," and the, and Fonte did the third verse. The music had man a lost words, one to spit, but I lost the urge. That verse, right? That's one of my that's probably my favorite Fonte verse. Jerome Howard, tech entrepreneur. Um, I was listening to the show uh, at work the other day. Uh, I heard Big Crit say that you have a, a, a song called Guillotine Flow that you haven't released yet. So I was uh, wondering, uh, could you pull out your phone and like play it a little bit, man? <laughs> How you know it? <laughs> He's a winner. Fam, how you know I got that on me, fam? I ain't got that on me, fam. Nah, I, I, I don't. I, I know I the song. have it. I know the song these um, are talking about. We did. Crit came to North Carolina about a year and a half ago, something like that, and we did four songs actually and the song that song that you heard was Life is a Gamble but we did Guillotine Flow and um, a song called Knocking at the Door that we wanted to get Scarface on and like a couple of more joints yeah alright we're going to do two more questions that's all that's all and two more questions because we got a special guest to bring up okay that's true yes sir okay okay you sounded real loud and then quiet at the same time Hey, Ninth. My name is L.A. I'm also an artist. Um, I just want to say I'm really inspired by what you do with Rhapsody as her mentor, because I'm also a female MC. Um, I do have a question on, like, what's her, sh like, the daily struggle that you see with her, and how does she solve it daily as well? Um, I never understood, as a man, you never understand the true struggle of gender equality. You just don't, you know what I mean? And that's our, that's our ignorance as men, you know what I mean? That we don't understand that what that means, gender, equi gender equality. But that's the struggle that people will actually tweet, men will actually tweet, I don't like girls that rap. You know what I mean? Tweet that. Or you have women in the industry or women that behind the scenes or quote-unquote gatekeepers 
that don't think women who rhyme is worth anything. I think that's sad too. So that's some of the things that we face. And I think the biggest thing is not getting naked in front of the camera and being judged totally off your skill, right? Of course, look nice, but to be judged off your skill and for to have somebody, you know, just give you a chance just off of that. It's been the ultimate gender fight for me ever in life. And that's the, that's the biggest obstacle that we face. We don't, the, the music is not the problem. It's the people and how they see, you know. People say, oh, I'm tired of Iggy, oh, I'm tired of Nikki. But they don't want to support, you know what I mean? So that's the, um, that's the, that's the, the biggest thing that we face. More questions? All right, we're going to move on to uh, a special guest. It's been a great time. I want to appreciate everybody for coming out. And, and uh, I want to bring on to the uh, stage special guest. Put your hands together for Farrell March. What's up, Farrell? What's up, sir? What brings you down to A3C? Um, I'm here to host the EMC show and uh, rock with Taleb last night and tomorrow with uh, Jamla. I'm on that showcase. That's family now. Okay. Andy 500. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, I, you know, I, I didn't know you was going to be in the audience, man, so I didn't come prepared. Do you have any questions? <laughs> I have some questions for myself, actually. Okay. <laughs> One of them is, man, why the fuck? Yo, Pharaoh, man. You be taking so long to fucking put out a fucking record, man. Word, Just man. fucking what the rap, fuck? What the fuck, man? What the fuck? <laughs> why do you take so long, man? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I, uh, the last couple of projects have been concept records and sometimes you just need to live life to write you know what I'm saying after you get past that first joint anyway so a lot of it is uh you know just taking the time to experience and write about those experiences as well yo that that PTSD album is so heavy that I could almost definitely understand you having to take some time away from that Definitely, yeah. Took me some time to write it, but I, I wrote it faster than I usually write. But now, um, you know, we're not moving past it because things are slower. We just shot a video for the jungle off the album, and um, we're going to shoot Dream with Talib Kweli. But I'm definitely on to the to the next work, and um, it's it's some real aggressive work. You guys were just talking about a lot of the injustice that's going on and it's centered around me being angry at a lot of shit and just just vomiting out a lot of that aggression and, and anger that I have inside about what's happening in our country right now. What specifically has you really angry, man? I mean, you know. I mean, it's so much. It's man? so much fuckery going on, though. Right, that's what right. I'm saying. Like, we could talk about GMOs. You know what I'm saying? In our food. We could talk about 
you know, the, the erasing of the middle class and the smaller middle class with regard to the black community. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's so many different levels of fuckery that I can't even figure out what's the distraction right now. It's frustrating, you know what I'm saying, that, that more people don't include that in their dialogue. You don't have to include that as an artist, but you can't avoid that in your dialogue if it's happening to your family and your people, which is what I don't understand. And I was just talking to some people <clears throat> downstairs about how artists need more mentors and becoming more active and being activists instead of just making music. A lot of artists want to do that, but we don't know how to make that transition, you know, so a lot of people are scared to do it. We don't have those type of mentors, so I stay stuck in music zone because that's the only way I know how to be active in terms of things like that. How do you feel about the, um, it's, almost, it's, it's almost a year now, or going on, on a year, well, since you've dropped your album. How do you feel it's been received, man? Are you happy with that? It's, it's incredible, man. It's beautiful because uh, the type of feedback, you're getting good <clears throat> rap feedback and good song feedback, but the type of feedback that I'm getting is, is like I went through, my wife went through, my son is going through, from actual soldiers to actual regular people on the street who's like, um, I'm glad you made a record about that. And so that's very uh, touching to me in my spirit. And that's what really feels inspiring the most. Yo, does, does anybody have any questions for, for Farrell Monch? I could go sit out there and ask no, no, myself no, no, another no, no, question. No, 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 no. Come on, y'all. <laughs> y'all been such an, a, an again, attentive bro. audience, man. Here you go. I go by the name of Small Eyes, represent for ABL Radio, represent for A3C. We up in these streets. Man, um, first of all, it's an honor to even be able to direct energy and thoughts towards you right now as one of the vanguards of lyricism, I think, and uh, for my generation. I just turned 30, so like for all of us that grew up around the sound bombing and saw that shit happening as Knife was talking about, it's incredible. I just want to, uh, you know, let's stir the pot up. Who do you feel like is pushing the envelope for lyricism as it is in this modern form? Because it's only a few of them that really are doing it. For those that are in the forefront, or maybe people that don't, some uh, artists him. that people don't know about him. Of course, of course. I mean, I mean, of, of course. That's just given. So take yourself out of that. Who else do you feel like is pushing the envelope? And maybe some newer people that you you can name that you think is really still preserving the art of lyricism. I mean, it's 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 evident to me, or at least it should be. Like, uh, I'm a big. Slaughterhouse fan of all those guys in that group. Uh, Big Royce, 5'9 fan. Uh, and then, you know, like, after that, it's really a lot of people in my clique, man. Like, Gene, Gray, Quayle, and Rhapsody. I just listened to her album when I was in North Carolina, and I was blown away. And I was hearing what Ninth was saying, and, like, on the Jedi tip, and I was sitting there, you know, taking notes from where she's at right now. And that's what's fly about hip-hop is when it 360s. So he's playing me her album, and I'm like just studying the shit and hoping to gain and take from the zone that she's in right now because she's in such a zone that it's incredible. So, like, I fuck with a lot of people that's right here in the room and click, you know. 
Anybody? Yeah. Any, any, anybody else? It's always always someone on the inside that wants sex. Hi, my name is Ty, and I'm a really, really big fan of the Combat Jack Show and a really, really fan, big fan of Farrell Munch. And you just said that you would go out into the audience and ask yourself questions. I just want to know what you would ask yourself. <sighs> I asked myself about the albums. So, uh, shit. Now I'm at a loss. I'm sorry. Let's take this question over here, this guy right here. <laughs> We do a last question, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, and you know, people could chop it up while we play little tunes before we head out of here. That's you, Nikoi. Um, welcome on fire. Um, I'm C Shot. Um, definitely wanted to ask you a question from last year, but you like the entire elite MCs that we have today, like Gene Gray, Talib. I was just always wondering, like, since Gene does like the visuals now, like, did y'all ever? Think of having like a super super group, like super lyricist album or something like that, and then have it visually put out. Cause I think like something like that, it would just be like mash up the industry thing. And I would just feel like everybody does. You know, you guys have such a. It's more of like a, um, I don't know if you, mystery. You know what I mean? You guys are more mystery. Even though you know, like how Gene kind of put the um, life with Gene out there, you know, there's not too much you really know about you guys, but you guys are the ones that all of us like. I think you want to ask Gene some questions, don't you? Well, everybody know, everybody yeah, know. Yeah, you do, don't Gene, you? Come on up here. You don't know, you don't know, but like, no, seriously, but I always wanted to find it out because I always valued you, and then, you know, maybe bring back, you know, like, just have, just like an elite, like, you know what I'm saying? Super, like, super, like super. super lyrics, Lots of words. The, something there, because that, yo, <laughs> yo, that would be crazy, but that's the always thing I wanted to ask. Yeah, man. Um, okay. No answer? Well, if you have an I answer. Mean, concerning Gene, it's amazing that we got that, that one song done because I don't really get along with Gene like that. You know? Man, but, nah, but it's coming, man. We're doing more stuff. We're doing more stuff. More stuff. I will say this, if, if anybody doesn't know, uh, we have a great episode on the Combat Jack show did with Farrell Monch. So, you know, you know, things are cutting short, we're on a time limit. But, you know, you take your time and, and you head on over and listen to the episode. It's an incredible one. Listen, audience, man, you guys have been really great. I really want to thank, you know, Knife Wonder once again, man, and, and Farrell for coming out. You know, and A3C for having us once again. Please um, tweet hashtag A3C10, Combat Jack Show, Ninth Wonder. Um, this has been an honor. And the close off, you know what it is, man. Dream those dreams and man up and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Bow. Luminati! This is an official Loudspeakers Networks production.